we do not need more people in public life just absolutely maligning their opponents. We do not need more people in public life who sound like everything that comes out of their mouth is poll tested and scripted. We need a moment of levity. We need a political yard sign that makes you smirk. So I'm, I'm happy to do that because I think it gives people a little bit of what they need. Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. And I'm really, really excited for this special episode. We're going to do something we haven't done yet. We're going to talk to a candidate. Um, and today we're going to talk with a candidate running for re-election as a state auditor, which isn't an office that gets a ton of national attention in really any state, but this isn't just any state auditor. He was the only non-incumbent Democrat to win a statewide race in Iowa in 2018, and he was the first Democrat to beat an incumbent Republican in a statewide race in Iowa in 39 years. He was also the most coveted Democratic endorser heading into the 2020 Iowa caucuses. Uh, He's the former chief public corruption prosecutor who uncovered the largest lottery rigging scheme in American history. He's also probably the biggest evangelist for breakfast pizza, (laughs) at least in living memory. Uh, He's a Democrat from a small town who likes to hunt and fish and has been able to connect with the white, non-college educated rural voters that Democrats across the country have been struggling to win with, as we've talked about a lot on this show. And I wanted to talk about how he did it in 2018, uh, how he's doing it right now in this election cycle. And the bigger picture here is what Democratic candidates in even higher profile races can learn from Rob. Uh, I'm very excited to welcome Iowa State Auditor Rob Sand. Rob, thanks for making the time being here. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you, Ron. And we are also joined, of course, by the one and only Mike Madrid. Mike, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. I'm really, really excited about this. This is the first time we've sat down with uh, candidates, and um, there's just a lot I want to get into here on this one. So, Rob, I don't know that there are um, a ton of kids in kindergarten classes saying that they they want to be a state auditor when they grow up, but uh, <laughs> I want you to talk a little bit about what what made you decide to run for auditor in the first place. Why is this particular position important for states? I mean, the, the, I count me as someone who, I mean, I doubt that I even knew that we had a state auditor, even though I probably voted in that race every four years, you know. Um, but I was working at the attorney general's office, as you mentioned, chief public corruption prosecutor, prosecuted a lot of violent crime, uh, a lot of sex offenses as well. And, uh, fundamentally, uh, criminal prosecution is not happy work. You do not go home at the end of the day, happy. You do not reach the end of a case and have people say, I'm so glad this happened because we got to know each other. Like all of it is just rooted in sin and darkness and kind of the worst things that humans can do to each other. And I... I'm kind of an optimist. I'm a happy person and it wasn't wearing on me well, you know? So I had worked a lot with the state auditor's office because in Iowa, they conduct the public corruption investigations. So their investigations would come to my desk. I'd be deciding, you know, who's getting indicted and what for. And I'd gotten to see the office and how it worked. And like the people I worked with had seen a few things that I thought should be done differently. Uh, but it wasn't until I kind of realized that my job was changing me about six years in that I thought, you know, maybe I should run for state auditor. Um, I could do some things there proactively to make the office work better, which would be, you know, a more happy and hopeful thing to do than just wallowing in the darkness uh, every day. Um, and so I read up on the office, um, read, read chapter 11 of the Iowa Code, saw that the office actually can be a huge engine for good government. 
And that's actually what excited me more than anything else. Um, setting up a program to promote government efficiency, which if you really think about it is like so core to the mission of self-governance in the constitution, they're like, everybody should be excited about this. Like this is a radical idea in the 1700s that we don't all need a king or a queen to tell us what the rules are going to be, that we can kind of figure it out. But like central to that idea is also the idea that like we can not only govern ourselves, but we can govern the people who are governing us, that we can have checks and balances against the people in power. And so, you know, having, uh, going after waste, fraud, and abuse, I think is something that's central to the idea of having people believe in democracy. We have to have someone who does that. And so getting this program set up, you know, was exciting for me because I was like, well, I can wake up every day and think of a new way to save tax dollars. That's a great idea. That's easy to do. Uh, but it's also fun because I travel around the state. The program is named PI, Public Innovations and Efficiencies. It's been so good, actually, at saving tax money that the state of Mississippi has already copied it. And uh, I actually deliver pies <laughs> to our best performing local elected officials, um, which is both fun and delicious. It's like highlighting for people that, hey, maybe if we elect the right people who actually care about doing right, we can have better governance. So how have you been able to win over voters in Iowa when there's a, this is the big question, right? That, that I'm sure you talk a lot about, but when there's a D next to your name on the ballot, um, you got to be doing something differently there. I am born and raised in Northeast Iowa, Decorah, beautiful, small, beautiful little small town. If you're a beer drinker, you may know Toppling Goliath there. That's a brewery that opened up there since I graduated. If you like fishing, it's got the best trout fishing in the Midwest. Decorah also is kind of one of the epicenters of the Driftless area. That's Northeast Iowa, Southeast Minnesota, and Southwest Wisconsin. If you look at a map of counties that swung from going for Obama twice to Trump twice, hi, welcome to the Driftless area. That's it. Hmm. And so to, to me, I don't think that, I think that my approach to governance and to politics is very similar to the place where I grew up. People are less concerned with the number behind or the letter behind somebody's name and more concerned with fundamentally what their approach is. And to me, if you think about that, you know, so many people, oh, what, what, gee, what happened? You know, people want to say to Iowa, you went for Barack Obama twice. This, you know, why is, is, did something change? No. Barack Obama was an outsider. Donald Trump was an outsider. For four elections in a row, we picked the presidential candidate that offered change over the one that offered sort of a return to politics as usual. And I, that I think is more than anything else fundamental to my worldview. I don't like politics. I realize odd choice of profession here, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's yeah. true. You know, I registered as an independent before I registered, to vote, before I registered as a Democrat I, I can't stand partisanship. I, I frankly wish we could get rid of parties. Uh, I go back and I talk a lot about all, how all the founders, you know, they disagreed on so many things and yet they were universal in their disdain for sort of calcified fractions, right? Calcified parties. Uh, and so to me, you know, the similarity between Obama and Trump was these were people who were offering change, who wanted to shake up Washington. And uh, I, I, in 2018, talked a lot about how I prosecuted uh, corrupt officials from both the Democratic and the Republican Party. 
um, in my job as state auditor, we have criticized officials from both parties. Uh, a lot of this to me, I, I try to get back to core things, you know, truth, integrity, accountability, as opposed to partisanship. I go to, you know, I'm on social media criticizing Democrats, defending Republicans when it's the right thing to do, not because it's my job as state auditor, when it's not related to my job, just because it's like, man, if I'm going to do this stuff, I don't, I don't want to do it the way that sort of everyone is expected to do. Cause it, it's not working for us as a country. Forget, forget whether you're Democrat or Republican. Our partisanship has weakened us as a, as a country and it weakens us as a state. If we're not willing to work with people, if we dismiss someone and everything they do because they belong to a different party, then we can't be as powerful as we could be if we were united. You know, in early October, your campaign announced you had uh, received endorsements from 31 conservative political figures in your re-election campaign, which just like, you know, one or two maybe for a, for a statewide Democratic race, but that's just eye-popping. And I wonder how important it was for you to pick up support from Republicans and Libertarians in the campaign. And more really, how did you do it? So, you know, the, the folks who were on there, uh, a lot of Libertarian candidates in Iowa and former Libertarian candidates, a former Republican State Party of Iowa chair, uh, Republican Party chair, a former Republican executive director for their state party, a, a current Republican state legislator who granted lost a primary this um, this, this cycle in full, full disclosure. Um, I, just a, a small handful of these people were people that knew me before I ran. Um, I had tried a case with Mike Mahaffey. He defended uh, uh, a sheriff uh, who we had uh, indicted for theft. Um, and I was the prosecutor on the case. And Mike and I got along really, really well, got to know each other. And most of the other people were people who got to know me after I started doing my work as state auditor. And I, and I think the fundamental thing, Ron, was they saw that I'm very serious about not being politics as usual, not doing politics as usual. And so we had a mix of people, you know, some, some of them, some are never Trumpers who are upset with the direction of their party. But one guy is the state director for Restore Liberty Iowa, which is no one's idea of a, you know, moderate or squish organization. He supports me because I don't do politics as usual. He's like, look, I know we disagree on stuff, um, but you actually, you talk to me, you engage with me, and you try to treat everybody as a human being. And I think we need more of that right now. And so it's, it's a lot of different people for different reasons. But the fundamental, the bottom line of it to me was, you know, confirmation that there are people who are hungry for something else, who are, who are sick of the division, sick of the bile and the venom that we're spewing at each other all day long. You know, okay. So I've, I have one more question then, Mike, I'd love to hear what this is bringing up for you. Um, especially because you know, we, we talk a lot on the show about, um, about negative partisanship and how that's the sort of driving force in most political campaigns now. Um, not, not just partisanship as you were talking about, but net, but actually, you know, showing up to vote against the guy. Right. So before we do that, so we have, we have a guest who's on pretty regularly, um, Professor Katherine Sanderson. She's the chair of the psychology department at Amherst. Um, and one of the things we've talked to her about a couple of times is uh, the myth of monsters, uh, this belief that people do bad things because they're bad people. And I wonder how you think that belief impacts political races and trying to build 
broad coalitions that don't fit neatly into a party. Yeah. I mean, it certainly makes it harder, right? Because there are so many people who are primed by bad leaders in both parties to think that the other side is evil. And the bottom line here, I mean, Ron, I I tried uh, dozens of cases to juries across Iowa uh, when I was assistant attorney general. You can put people in a room together to talk about serious conversations who think very differently from each other politically, and they will solve the problem. They will reach unanimity. They will find a way. The jury process is apart from our political process. And in, in the United States right now, you know, if uh, we have so many leaders who are just ready to demonize everyone who wears the other color shirt. And so that, that, that monster idea, I think so often is um, exaggerated. You know, I, I don't think that there's, there's no angels and there's no devils among us. All of us are capable of good. All of us are capable of evil. Uh, but we really, when we, when we dehumanize each other, uh, we make it harder to ever work with someone and it makes it harder for me to find supporters across the aisle, which I think is why, I mean, I think you're right. Like a list with 31 names on it is kind of like a, oh wow, that's, that's a lot. (laughs) Um, because there are so many people out there on both, on, in both parties who are just say, oh, well, you're the other side. So therefore you must be awful because of this reason. And the fundamental, the, the, Leadership matters. The idea that um, that we would be in such a different place if our political leaders would remind us, hey, your neighbors are more similar to you than they are different. The people who belong in the other party are more similar to you than they are different. And yet it's really rare to find people who are willing to say that. It's not, you're kind of swimming upstream if you're doing that these days. Yeah. And less, I mean, if listeners have, uh, you know, they may have gotten the wrong impression so far, because if you're, if you're listening and you hear, oh, this guy's got, you know, 31 conservative leaders who've endorsed him, he must be right of center, right? Do you want, do you want to establish your sort of democratic bona fides for sure for, for any yeah. of our listeners who may be uh, sort of sure? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I, I do not like the Dobbs decision. I am pro-choice. Um, I am a gun owner who believes that uh, we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to reasonable uh, laws that would protect safety with firearms. Um, I, part of the reason that I uh, originally, when I switched from independent to Democrat, did it was I really care about the outdoors. I, now, I might come at it from a different perspective. It's because I like to fish and I like to hunt. Um, but still, the you know, bottom line is like, I think that protecting God's creation is incredibly important and that we should, we should try to focus on that. Um, so, you know, I don't, uh, I also don't like the idea to just fundamentally of uh, labeling ourselves. We do so much of it. And yet, and you guys know this, you know, put five people who say, oh yeah, I'm progressive in a room. And within 10 minutes, it's going to be all, oh, you're, you're not progressive. I'm progressive, you know, and it pick, pick the label. Progressive, Republican, conservative, Democrat, you know, whatever. None of these words may have any actual meaning. They only serve to divide us. And that's, so to me, it's kind of like, you know, tell me what you think about an issue. I'll tell you what I believe on that issue as opposed to picking a, picking a label that, to put on me as a, as a whole. You said something really interesting in the introduction that I've never heard a Democrat say before, and I know where you're coming from with it, but I want to explore it a little bit more. 
you were talking about as an auditor um, looking for waste, fraud, and abuse. Like that's traditionally Republican language that's designed to kind of attack government, but you're approaching it because you believe that government can be an instrument to do more and do better and probably to instill confidence in the public is you want to weed that stuff out so that you can do more with it. Yes. We have no choice a, but it, to believe it, that under the Constitution. I mean, we, we, we have to have, you know, unless you want to be an anarchist, good luck with that. You know, Somalia is great this time of year. Have fun. But, uh, you know, we have to. We have to take this job seriously. And I, I, I agree with you, Mike. It's also, it's always been weird to me that Democrats don't focus on that more. It's like if we, if we, if we want to believe in constitutional self-governance, that Democrats actually, if we want to advocate for the idea that yes, in fact, we aren't a bunch of idiots and we can build a decent system of self-governance, then we have to go after absolutely uh, aggressively waste, fraud, and abuse. We have to root it out. We have to build systems that discourage it. We have to build real consequences for it. Yeah, I'm, you know, talk about uh, doctrinaire positions. I'm one of the unusual people. While while I agree that you know we should treat uh, treat marijuana the trait the way we treat uh, alcohol, you know, legalize it to a certain degree. Um, I'm one of the unusual people who says people who steal from taxpayers in large amounts should have to serve some time in prison. Like I think that that's the only. And I think this is not behavioral, behavioral science shows us the certainty of a consequence is a more effective deterrence than, than the magnitude of the consequence. Mm-hmm. But if in the state of Iowa, you consistently see people who steal from taxpayers getting sentences of probation. And what we're doing when we allow that is we're saying, eh, we don't take this that seriously. When the opposite should be true. Every time you have a small town clerk steal from their neighbors, you are undermining our system of uh, civic trust. And so to me, that, that's actually a pretty serious crime because you're undermining the idea of self-governance. You, you use humor a lot in your, in your messaging with um, voters, and it, it, there seems to be this unique authenticity. I'm wondering if you could talk about that as a tactic. And because so oftentimes we see consultants and candidates who are trying to be funny and it just doesn't work. Your stuff really works. Like it's, 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 it's just, it's there's good. something very genuine about it. It's not like, it's not like, it seems like almost natural you. to you. Like let's, let's just go talk about this, this way, as opposed to spending weeks yeah. on end trying to find, find something funny. It's just kind of natural. I, I appreciate that. Uh, and it would probably be a surprise to anyone who's listened to this conversation so far, because it's, it's tended towards the very serious and the, and the relatively heavy. But yeah, um, you know, like I was saying before, I, I tend to view myself as someone who's a bit of an optimist and a bit of a happy person. And humor is a huge piece of that for me. And this goes back to, to looking at society, I think, and trying to see what it, where it is we are and what it is that we need. We do not need more people in public life just absolutely, you know, maligning their opponents. We do not need more people in public life who sound like everything that comes out of their mouth is, you know, poll tested and scripted. And a little bit of spontaneity, a little bit of humor, I think goes a long way in sort of giving people sort of a taste of that things, again, that things can be different, that politics doesn't have to be ugly and serious all the time. So yeah, both in 2018 and in 2022, uh, we've had ads running that make me honestly miss mostly make fun of me. So maybe, maybe that's a piece of it. I guess go ask ad consultants, how many clients are willing to do ads where they're the butt of the joke. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
but I'm I'm cool with that because you know I, I try to take the world seriously and myself you know seriously enough, but not 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 as seriously as everything around me, and so I think that helps. Um, you know, because uh, certainly it's a it's a form of humor that I think is uh, relatively unusual in politics. A lot of people in politics they want oh I'm I'm, I'm big and important and serious and come on like you're a human being so. I'm a human being. There's plenty of things about me to make fun of. Just ask my wife. I'm, 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 I'm looking at one of your yard signs right now. It says, Bow Hunter, State Auditor, Rob Sand Finds Bucks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and I like... Dad jo- oh, sorry. It's just so, yeah, dad jokes. It's good because it's jokes. corny. <laughs> Why not? Yes, exactly. And so, you know, some people uh, look at that. I don't know. Like... If you like hunting, you'll like it. If you like jokes, you'll like it. If you don't like hunting or jokes, I don't know. I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, well, on a, we yeah. things are so awful and brutal right now. Just yeah. again, with the idea of like being, trying to be, trying to give the world what the world needs. Like we need a moment of levity. We need a political yard sign that makes you smirk, you know? Like, so I'm, I'm happy to do that because I think it gives people a little bit of what they need. Zooming out a little bit, um, Rob, and this is this is where I think this you know uh, what we're talking about. Um, I think there are lessons here for the you know for for our discourse, yeah, broadly, and but especially for Republicans at the you know more national level. There was a lot of national news heading into the 2020 Iowa caucuses about candidates looking for your endorsement. Um, the New York Times reported candidates like Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, Michael Bennett, all came looking to you to endorse them. And so what I wonder is when you were meeting with them, what was your advice to them for how to win over rural voters in Iowa? And and how much of that thinking, how much of the way that you approach politics do you think um, translates to other races or um, or the way the Democratic Party uh, sort of writ large communicates with Americans. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good question. Um, and there's a there's a there's a weirdness to it because in general, you know, my advice is it's not that dissimilar from what other people say, which is you know, be authentic. I think most voters they're fine with supporting someone who is different from them as long as they're comfortable being different and open about being different. Um, I've, I've said this before. I think, I think people would be surprised at the number of Trump voters who would be totally fine with supporting a Sikh candidate for office who was very open about their Sikhism and, and what it meant to them and what it meant to their life rather than a candidate who simply says, oh, I think faith life is private. You know, it's not because they're, they're not, it's, you know, the private piece is kind of like, well, you you want me to, I, I, I understand what you're saying, that you want it to be private, but you want my vote and I want to know who you are. I'm trusting you with my vote. And there are so many people who are less ideological, right, than I think we give them credit for. I think Democrats have a problem of over-reliance on polls, over-reliance on issue testing. When a lot of people are just like, look, I live in a democratic republic. I'm just sending someone to figure this shit out. Can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> Absolutely. Is that okay? <laughs> All right. Okay. I hope so because we do. <laughs> All right. Okay. Very good. Very good. But I mean, you know, they, a lot of voters are just like, look, I'm, you know, I don't know what we should do 
I don't know what the five point plan for the economy should be. I don't know the best way to improve our public schools. If we can't do 10 things, which seven should we pick? I'm trying to send somebody to figure that stuff out that I will trust to figure it out because I'm, I'm a productive member of society. I go to job to my job every day. I do my work. I'm trying to raise good kids to be good citizens. I volunteer at my local food bank. But no, I don't have enough time to dig through all of these uh, issues and form my own opinions and then compare my opinions to someone else's. I just want to send somebody to figure it out. And I think that authenticity is really important. Again, it doesn't have to... Cultural similarity is fine and good and helpful. Uh, but again, I think openness... Um, about who you are and your life experience can can go just as far in some cases. So I think if, if the question was what kind of advice that I give, that that typically would be a, a long form <laughs> of the answer of just like, yeah, look, yeah. Iowans just want to know who you are. Okay. They're not here to, you know, if you don't wear a flannel shirt, don't put a flannel shirt on. They're they're not here to uh see if you're like Iowans. They just want to know who you are. Yeah, I get the um a strong vibe from you that you're just very comfortable in your own skin and who you are and where you're at. And I also get the sense that if you lost election tomorrow, you would be totally fine with that. Be like, okay, they chose somebody else <laughs> and I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just yep. such a refreshing attitude to see with, with office holders <laughs> who are like, look, I'm doing my best. I'm doing the right thing. I think I'm doing a good job and get response from both sides of the aisle. But if you guys want somebody else, that's that's okay. Like I'll go hunt a little bit longer and figure out what the next yeah. step is, right? And I, I, there is don't, a question don't, in here. Don't press I, my luck, Mike. But yeah, I'm not I'm not not saying anything. You know, um, I have to cross our fingers here. But you know what? What? Um, like, who are you? Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> uh, for a long time, I had a number of question, a number of answers to that question. Uh, teacher, uh, like lawyer slash plaintiff's attorney, like someone using the law to stick up for the little guy, right? Um, elected official or hermit. And the hermit piece, obviously one of these <laughs> things is not like the other. But again, that goes, you know, to me, that goes back to like, I love being outdoors. I grew up hunting and fishing a lot. And there's something about that to me that, you know, all three of those jobs are helping professions or service professions. I knew yeah. I wanted to serve. I knew I wanted to help other people. And then, then there's the, the last part of that is kind of like, but if I, if I can't, you know, I'll be okay. Just like being by myself as long as I can. Yeah. Uh, hang out with my family uh, and go hunting. The hermit piece is much more complicated. Once you get married and have two children, we've got a six and an eight year old. So um, I think that's, <laughs> what off, think? Off, what, the, what? that's off of the uh, realm of possibility for a little while. Yeah. How does your family yeah, feel ship about has sailed. Yeah, yeah. life in public service? I mean, our boys are pretty young still. So, I mean, they get that like people sometimes know who I am, um, which, you know, to me, I, I keep in mind the town that I grew up in is about seven or 8,000 people. And you have to drive an hour to get to an actual four lane highway that consistently has four lanes. So it really is in a very rural area. And so for me, like having someone who's like, Hey Rob, you know, I grew up in a place where people knew each other. And so I... I enjoy that. It gives me a sense of community. And so I think when my sons see that, like I like the idea that they can enjoy a sense of community from that too. But I think they're a little young to, to have strong opinions about it uh, so far. My wife is a relatively private person. Um, you know, we are kind of opposites attract in a number of ways. She's definitely, um, you know, 
as most most uh, spouses would say, my most important supporter. But I I believe in that. Um, you know, she's not particularly political, not particularly ideological, which makes her a good focus group of one for me. Um, but she she cares, and 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 she does appreciate the work that we've done in the office. You know, setting up a pie program that saves government. Uh, improves government efficiency. Like that's a, that's a big deal that helps. And she loves that. She loves the kind of anti-partisan approach. That's fundamental, I think, to, to who I am. But you mean, you asked me who, who am I, you know, when I was in this, some people like to suggest that this stuff is new and it's uh, you know, just something I'm doing for political reasons. When I was in college, I put together a class on conservative thought. I went to uh, Brown, very liberal school. Um, and I felt like I wasn't getting enough exposure to conservative ideas. And so I actually put together a class where we read kind of a lot of pieces of the conservative canon, uh, because I wanted to understand better. I, I, I wanted to seek out people, um, who had, I assumed views different from my own. And so I, I you know, I, I am really comfortable in my own skin, um, I was really fortunate uh, in my upbringing to have, you know, uh, a wonderful family and two really supportive parents. And um, I don't know what all comes into someone's life to make them feel that way. But yeah, I mean, I, I know what I want to do in politics uh, culturally, and I'm doing it whether I'm running for dog catcher or state auditor or whatever. Um, there is a way to do this that is more meaningful and better for all of us than the way it's typically done. I just love, I could, I, we could, we could talk to you for hours, Rob. I know you're very busy on the campaign. Job. <laughs> I don't want to take too much more of your time, but you know, uh, many, many of our listeners are in, um, they're all over, but um, I, I want you to sort of give them the pitch for why they should care about a state auditor's race in Iowa. Um, I would love to see them support you if you can tell them sort of where to go. Um, but really, sort of directionally, where do you want to see, first of all, this race is important. You need to win. They need to help you. But directionally, where do you want to see our politics go? Maybe you can, maybe you can merge that oh. all, all into the oh, same yeah. answer. So robsand.com is my website. Um, the little, a little, you know, click here to donate button will, will float and follow you around wherever you go. So it'll always be there to <laughs> click on that. And uh, and I'll and I'll I, I may as well say it. We have no campaign contribution limits limits in the state of Iowa. So <laughs> if anybody hey. is listening and just really loves what they hear, you can go ahead and <laughs> dig deep, dig deep. and let me know that you listened. That you know, but maybe <laughs> drop me a note. Yeah, dig deep. Um, yeah, because they're not federal yeah, limits. Yeah, you, you dig it's as deep as you limits. want. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I, I look again. I go back to this. You know. I, I, I think, Mike, you said it, you know, what I was talking about at the beginning about the belief in self-governance and going after waste, fraud, and abuse. Like, I do think that what I'm, the way I approach this, wherever it was, you know, in my, in the, in the stew and the marinade of my life led me to here, I am doing things differently. And for everybody out there who understands that we are in a bad place in politics, who understands that we can't keep going down this path that we're going down. If you want to support someone who's doing things differently, hi, you know, here I am. Um, the flip side here, this is, this is one of the things that kind of scares me is if I end up losing the lesson that a lot of people will take from that is, well, don't bother with being different. Don't bother with being civil. Don't bother with, 
defending people in the other party and criticizing people in your own party when it seems like they deserve it. Cause that didn't work so well for that sand guy in Iowa, you know? So I, you know, we're, we're, we're out there, uh, you know, running as a Democrat in a state that has been red lately in a year that is not super friendly. I feel like, you know, most people are probably feeling kind of tapped out. We're pretty close to election day, but we can always use more. Um, and I, and I think, I mean, where do we want to go into politics? I'll, that's, that's an, easier answer. I'm a big believer in uh, giving independents an equal right to participate in our politics and making November so that it isn't the lesser of two evils every time you have to cast a vote. Um, so uh, effectively, you know, open primaries and some form of, of ranked choice voting, I think, would do a lot to, to, to let people's voices be heard in a way that they aren't right now. You know, because how much you don't, we all know that this isn't working. But the idea of a two party system, it's a duopoly. I, I, I literally, guys, I go around to small towns in Iowa and I recommend The Politics Industry by Michael Porter and Catherine Gell to, uh, to readers all over the place. And, and something that I will probably be recommending soon is uh, I'm, I'm about halfway through it, but uh, Arthur, Arthur Brooks's book, uh, Love Your Enemies. You know, like if, we're, if we, if, if we want to be a nation, where we feel like Americans instead of, you know, Democrats or Republicans, uh, we have to have a system where it becomes disadvantageous for bad leaders to divide us. And that I think is the bottom line for whether it's ranked choice voting or star voting, whatever those approaches are that make it more than just filling in a single bubble. You know, you want to make yourself, I, I, I need to draw a line between me and Mike. We're not the same person, but I also want to do it in a way where his voters maybe will, you know, rank me second or at least not put me last. Uh, and, and frankly, it makes politics much more like real life where you, you want to be okay with everybody because you don't want anyone being mad at you because that's unpleasant. You know, doesn't mean that you don't do the right thing. You should stick up and do the right thing. But I do think that those kinds of changes would push us in a much better direction in terms of our ability to solve problems, but also in, ter- in our ability to just turn the temperature down. So there you go. There's me on my soapbox. <laughs> Man, and politicology listeners, no nobody gave Rob a cheat sheet and told him that open primaries and uh and ranked choice voting were my two favorite reforms. So, um <laughs> oh, there you right. go. They've heard me Correct. hammer that drum. Nor, yeah, beat nor, that drum quite a bit. <laughs> nor in the heat of election season did I do enough homework to figure that out on my on my own either. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as you should not. <laughs> but but, you know, um, we've heard from a lot of listeners uh, over the last several weeks who are asking, uh, you know, well, can you, you know, if we want to really make an impact, if you want to point us, point us somewhere, who should we, who should we support, who should we donate to? Here you go. We're doing it. This is, this, this is the guy. Go open your pockets. Um, I think there's something really, um, really powerful about the way you're, the way, the way you're doing things. So, um, Mike, do you have any other no, just questions? Thanks, thanks for this. Know? I mean, it's not just a breath of fresh air. Yeah. It's also um, it takes it, it? It's it, it may not sound like it, but it's courageous in its own way. It's doing something different, and I think it. I think a lot of it just has to to do with bringing a certain character to public office by saying, "I'm here to serve." And if I'm the person, that I'm the person. And if I'm not, then I'm not. I mean, obviously, you want to be. You're running. You're running hard. You're going to win. But at the, at, the, at that its core. That's why I asked you the question, who are you? 
you, you have a servant's heart. You want to serve other people. You want to help make things better. And I, I commend you for that. There's not enough of that. And so thank you for being a, a shining example of that at a time when we need it. I, I, I'm I, sending a donation. Thanks. I appreciate that. Kind words. I hope everybody joins thanks, me. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. Rob, All you right. got lots of work to do that's more important than being with us. So uh, we'll let you get Two back to ago. it. And, um, oh, shoot. Back 10 soon, days yeah? ago. <laughs> <laughs> 10 days. I'd be happy to. Thanks, guys. This is fun. Yeah, it's not two All weeks. Right, I've been saying two weeks for too long. Or somewhere in between 14 and 10 here. Better get cranking. 12. 12 is the answer. We'll see you on the other side. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening. If you haven't yet, we'd appreciate it if you could open up the Apple Podcast app and give us a five-star rating and review over there. This helps us rise in the rankings so that new people can discover politicology organically. If you have questions about anything we've talked about, you can reach us, as always, at podcast at And even when we can't respond, we do read everything you send us, whether it's an episode idea, a guest recommendation, or just a simple note about how the show has impacted you. And we love hearing from you. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.